1: Worker of yours. Welcome back to the show. Hour number two. As we continue on discussing LSU sports, we'll move on from Will Wade's reinstatement. Of course, we'll talk about that more with you as the hour goes along. But LSU baseball losing two of three to Mizzou over the weekend. Just a bad series loss. Bad series loss for LSU, who saw a relative of breaking the schedule, more manageable schedule than their opening few weeks were, and of course, the, the closing few weeks to SEC play was, but you had just a disaster in the first game that they ended up winning, disaster pitching-wise, and then they lose two games over the weekend, and now the questions arise once again, well, can this team rise to the expectations that everybody set for them in the preseason, which was kind of college world series or bust? For this group that had so much talent returning. It's of course, still possible. We're only in the middle of the conference play. And we know Paul Maneri's clubs, they're better towards the end of the conference season. And certainly as you get into SEC conference play and on into the regional and super regional. This isn't really out of precedent for Paul Mineri and his clubs. But just say we're on notice here after this series loss, but... I don't like the sky's falling like a lot of you think, at least according to the text line. Let's bring on in James Moran at TigerAg.com to talk about it. Welcome to the show, James. And, and look, is is the sky falling? Am I wrong here? Is the sky falling for LSU?
0: I don't think the sky is falling because of the loss series to Missouri. I think Missouri's pretty good. And I think the bigger problem this team's dealing with right now is just that, I mean, they're dealing with a rash of injuries that, that rivals last year. And last year was kind of unlike anything I'd ever seen before. I mean, I guess I can run through the laundry list if you'd like, but Zach Cass has a groin injury. It doesn't sound likely he's going to be able to pitch this week. Um, He had an injury to his other groin before the season, and that kept him out for two weeks. So if you want to use that as a rough timetable, but LSU is not really using a timetable at this point. They're just going to kind of wait and see how he feels. They're probably going to be without both Chris Reed and Zach Watson tomorrow night when they play – uh, the Cajuns in the Wally Pontev Jr. Classic. Um, Reed's dealing with a bit of a tight hamstring. Watson, who I guess is, pulmonary says, is the worst of the two, is dealing with a groin injury himself. Uh, they haven't been ruled out for this weekend, so hopefully they could be back for Florida if you're LSU. But the, those two guys aren't going to be available tomorrow night. They might be without Hal Hughes, who uh, collided with uh, with Brant Broussard against in the Missouri series. And then, obviously, the pitching, I mean, they're still without Jaden Hill, who's who's been out with a sore arm since the second week of the year. Uh, now Landon Marceau, who just came back, is is hurt again, so they're going to be without him this week. Uh, they're just really short on guys, and going into a short week, it, it's kind of not ideal because, you know, I think the ob- the obvious thing to do would be if Hess is out, you, you bump up Cole Henry, you bump up Eric Walker, and you figure out Sunday, but because it's a short week where those guys are already pitching on one day shorter rest than normal, um, I don't think LSU is going to do that. Uh, they don't normally ask their guys to go on four days rest outside of a real emergency situation. So I think my gut is that either Mikhail Hilliard steps into that role for now or LSU does kind of something similar to a, to a Johnny Holstaff or an opener or whatever you want to call it where they just kind of piece it together. But obviously the danger of doing that in a series opener is you could deplete your bullpen for the rest of the weekend, and that's that's not what anybody wants in a going into an SEC series. So I'm I'm kind of curious what they're going to do in terms of their pitching. I think it's going to be a bunch of guys that, you know, if you look at the guys that they normally pitch in the midweek, uh, it's going to be those guys. But, you know, if you probably see a lot of Clay Moffitt, you'll see Ry Gunter and Trey, Trent Fittmeyer and probably Beck and Fondo and Peterson if they get a lead. But they're going to have to be really careful not to use anybody for very long tomorrow night because – you know, they got to keep as many guys available to pitch that Thursday night game as possible if Zach Hess can't go.
1: The rash of injuries has just been incredible. You mentioned, James, going back to last year and really lost,
0: the last. Uh, if you look at this year, they act between the three guys I mentioned Hess, Watson, and Reed. They lost three guys to different leg injuries within 11 innings which is honestly not something I can ever remember seeing in a baseball season.
1: Yeah, it's it's just odd. And this continues to trend for LSU for the last few years. I was talking to multiple people about this over the over the weekend and on into last week. And it's not just LSU that's seeing this, especially when you look at pitchers, James. You know this. There's more injuries uh, the now thing is, at the college level. It's crazy. The
0: it's, it's the pro level. I mean, the, it seems like, it's never been, despite the fact that pitchers are not are going shorter amounts of time than they ever have in the history of baseball. There's just this rash of injuries, and people always ask me, like, "Well, well, what's causing it?" Well, if I knew, if I could tell you that definitively, I probably wouldn't. I think some
2: major league team would probably pay <laughs> a lot of money. To,
1: <laughs> You'd be in demand, yeah.
0: But I think it's some kind of mix between these guys throwing all year round in high school with travel ball and. You know, everybody has a high school pitching coach and travel pitching coach and a personal pitching coach. And, you know, these showcases where they go and they just try to throw as hard as they can. Maybe it's something with having to do with adjusting from the high school workload to the college workload. Uh, These are just ideas I've heard from different people I've talked to about it. But uh, the more concerning, as weird as this is going to say, I think you're more concerned about the position players at this point. I mean, right now, let's say how Hughes isn't available LSU goes in tomorrow night with 11 healthy position players and three of them are catchers. You know, I mean, all of a sudden you're probably going to have to play Brant Broussard or Drew Bianco at third base, which I don't think was ever really part of the plan for this year. Um, obviously, Josh Smith's going to be your horse. You're going to need him to play every second of every inning while those other guys are out. Um, they do have a good, a good situation in the outfield because they I, – I, I've liked – they've liked, obviously, what they've gotten out of Giovanni to Giacomo, who's – really been a godsend as they've dealt with injuries first to Daniel Cabrera and now to Zach Watson.
1: It's James Moran joining us here on the last lap at smartest Moran on Twitter. And that 20 win plateau in conference play is something Paul has openly talked about uh, with these injuries that it seems like a stretch with five series, you know, what, five series left in conference play here. that They're going to get there. James is, is that out of reach now?
0: I don't think it's out of reach because I actually think the schedule in the back half of the year is easier than the front half. I mean, when you look at their first five series, they're they're nine and six. They're a game out of first place, so I, I wouldn't make too, I wouldn't be too hung up on the results. I mean, when you consider the injuries they've dealt with, being nine and six, having played three road series is isn't that bad, especially when you figure that they've arguably got their two hardest series out of the way in at Mississippi State and at Georgia. Which for my money will be the two hardest series they play all year. Um, Florida, who they play this weekend, is actually pretty down for for a Florida. I mean, they. I, I don't know how they did last weekend. I was I was pretty locked into the golf, so I'm. Well, my apologies for that. But they, that coming into last weekend, they were one and eight against ranked teams, having lost those games something like ninety nine to forty.
1: Yeah, they, they won Florida that series by the way, James. Uh, two out of three last week. <laughs>
0: Naturally, so yep, they're probably yep. just figuring it out just in time to play LSU, <laughs> but you get that. You get Auburn and Alabama, who are probably, I don't want to say the two weakest teams in the West, but I think they're the two teams near the bottom of the West standings right now. Uh, you get those two teams, including one of them at home. You get Old Miss at home, who's coming off a disastrous weekend in which they got swept. So I, I think that if LSU can get healthy and can kind of tread water for the next week or so until these guys come back, that I wouldn't really rule out any of their goals, but this definitely isn't uh, the start to the season. I think you imagined when they were the consensus number one team coming into the year or consensus top five team, I guess some have Vanderbilt some had UCLA, but, but I agree. This was a team with Omaha bust expectations. I don't think those are out the window, but I think the clock is still ticking though. Again, I would, I'd always use this same disclaimer. I, I've covered this team for five years. And like clockwork, they are better at the end of the year than they are in the middle, and this always seems to kind of take this route. But the one thing that's different is they have a ton of injuries, and I'm just eventually, you know, you can say next man up all you want, but there's a reason one guy is playing over another, and eventually you start having a weaker lineup. What I'd really be concerned about is their defense. I mean, you know, I'm not. this There's no knock on on Bianco or, or even Broussard, but. How, or Chris Reed was really steady at third base, aside from one bad weekend where he made a few errors. And Hal Hughes is probably all around their best defender, as is Zach Watson. I mean, those are their, probably their two best defenders at the second and third levels of the defense. And you're going to be without them, and you're without Zach Hess, your best strikeout pitcher, which means whoever's pitching, there's probably going to be a lot more contact. That would uh, that concerns me a little bit in terms of the next couple weeks.
1: So, is it time, James, to start lowering expectations because of these injuries? If we're being objective and fair, is it start time to start lowering oh, those College World I Series or bus expectations?
0: So. I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't think LSU would. Would um, I would say that people should be a little bit less wrapped up, and if they drop a midweek game here or there where they're pitching the you know the last five guys on the staff, but I think in terms of SEC stuff. I, I don't think the expectations have really changed at all. I think they're just going to need to figure it out. Because, I mean, look, the one thing with LSU baseball is people are never going to lower the expectations. I mean, you, we can say it would be fair to, but I don't think people are going to. So uh, I would say that considering the struggles Florida had, even though they won the series last weekend, I still think they're going into the series thinking they got to win two out of three.
1: James Moran, who covers Tiger sports and Tiger baseball for TigerAg.com. Always appreciate the chats, James. Thanks so much.
0: No problem, Seth. Thanks for having me on, man. We'll talk soon.
1: You bet. And you can find his work at tigerag.com. And of course, yeah, follow him on Twitter. One of the great Twitter tags, Twitter handles out there, at SmartestMoran. Follow him there. We'll take a break. I want to turn the page from LSU. Let's let's talk some Tiger. Let's talk some masters and what we saw yesterday. One of the one of the great sports stories of our time. Great sports moments of our time. You might disagree. That's okay. That's why we have the show. Give us a call, 504-260-1870. Open lines, talking Tiger, talking Masters. What would you think yesterday next on The Last Lap? So yesterday, one of the great sports moments, in my mind, of our time, Tiger Woods, after an 11-year drought, wins the Masters. 11 years between majors. It, It was improbable. It was really unthinkable before yesterday we we talked about it a lot we'd speculated tiger entered is is the betting favorite but that's just because of his name the brand that he carries tiger but he won that tournament yesterday by one stroke Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka one stroke behind him. Woods was 13 under, two under on the day. And it was a sight. It was a sight that frankly I don't think that I will ever forget. It is me personally. I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. I understand here we've got some Tiger haters apparently in the audience tonight, which which I don't maybe I do get why you wouldn't like Tiger. I don't understand why you wouldn't appreciate the moment that you saw yesterday. Walking up to that that second putt. It was a gimme. And the emotion that he showed after tapping in, in his Sunday Tiger Red, in Augusta, with the crowd going nuts behind him, and the emotion that he showed, and then embracing his kids that that don't remember, weren't alive, weren't around, to enjoy this Tiger. To enjoy the Tiger Woods that... We all knew in his prime as the best golfer on the planet and maybe the best golfer who'd ever lived. He, he changed golf. Guys like Kepka and Speth and McElroy, these these weight room junkies, these heavy hitters, where'd they get that from? They got it from Tiger. Golf wasn't a game. Golf wasn't a sport where you needed to get in the weight room, get strength, get power. Well, Tiger did, and he changed how the sport was played. Man, the fans yesterday chanting "Tiger, Tiger, Tiger" as he tapped in to win that. It was just incredible. I, I won't. It's one of those sports moments that I, I I just won't forget. I won't. There's relatively few of them for me. I certainly remember where I was during the no-call, and I'll remember vividly sitting right next to Mike Dutillier and Bobby Aber and our, our stunned silence and, and really the eerie feeling in the Superdome after that. I'll remember that St. San Francisco game, and I remember I was, was sitting in my truck, was getting ready to officiate high school basketball that night, so I had to miss, like, the last... 10 minutes of the game, that playoff game in in 2011, January 2012, and listening to Jim Henderson's call of Alex Smith's run and then the Vernon Davis catch and run. Sitting in my truck outside of Newman High School, getting ready to officiate high school basketball again. I'll never forget. I'll never forget the the disappointment and shock and and kind of the dejection I felt then. It was kind of the opposite. It wasn't a... A guy, a local guy, a team we cheer for, even a a golfer that many cheer for a lot. He hasn't been very likable off the course during the last decade. It's kind of a redemption story, a redemption arc. He's 43 now. He's not the same guy that he was when he was 33. He made some mistakes and some big ones, and I'm not exonerating him for that. But if you hate Tiger just because he was the face of golf, or or his divorce, or his substance abuse issues, then I think you're just too much of a purist, even for me, somebody who considers myself a sports purist. I loved the moment yesterday. It was great. It was just great. I'm getting lots of tweets here talking about Tiger and And why people don't like him because he's never come to the Zurich Classic. Didn't come here after Katrina. Lots of people didn't come here after Katrina. That's a personal moment to everybody here. But Don't vilify him for that in my mind. Great moment. I just wish people would let themselves enjoy that moment a little more. The people, anyways, who apparently didn't. That's why we watch. That's why we in, get invested in sports. That's why we enjoy sports. We're just talking to Jock Dusey about this, and he mentioned something that I've talked about before on the air a lot. That this is supposed to be an escape, an escape from the daily grind and, and the, the political bickering and, and the religious infighting and and the, the separation and the divides that we've set up between our various communities and and cliques and demographics and friend groups and political ideologies, sports brings us together. And in that moment yesterday, it it felt like people came together with very few exceptions. There's not that many moments recently in sports that you could say that. When's the last time that something brought us together, had... Almost everybody cheering for the same person, rooting for the same thing to happen, as we saw as we saw yesterday. It's been a while. It's been a while. We were part of one here when everybody was rooting for the Saints and that game in the Superdome against the Atlanta Falcons and everybody in the country, everybody in the world who was watching, and the Gleason punt block and and the euphoria and celebration that happened here. That was one of those moments. I think yesterday was too. Not the same, doesn't matter the same, doesn't mean the same as that moment did here, but it still was, it was something, a rare moment. And, and I really mean rare, rare in the, the truest sense of the word, moment that happened. Our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll, were you rooting for Tiger yesterday? 87% of you say yes, 13% saying no right now. You can cast your vote at wwl.com Phone lines are open. Give us a call, 504-260-1870. Our text line is 870-870. Scott Rabelais at about 940. He was at the Masters. We'll discuss with him. And more thoughts on Will Wade and his reinstatement coming up. I'm Seth Dunlap. Logan's behind the glass. It's the last lap on WWL. Tomorrow on Sports Talk, Bobby and Krishner live from the Shrine on Airline as LSU takes on... The Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns in the Wally Pontiff Jr. Classic. And pregame begins at 6.30, but before that, from 4 to 6.30, you'll have a little sports talk live from out there. A little talk LSU baseball. I'll also talk a little Tiger Woods. You think he's back, or was it just one last show of his greatness? And can he catch Jack Nicholas for the most major wins? He is three behind Jack. He has 15. Jack has 18. That's tomorrow on Sports Talk, 4 to 6.30 right here on WWL. To the phone lines we go at 504-260-1870. Joe in Mandeville, welcome to the show.
3: That's got to be the next 30 for 30, don't you think?
1: Uh, Tiger? Yep. Yeah, I think so. I, it was just an incredible moment, Joe, yesterday, and I think everybody would, would would love one of those, no doubt about it.
3: Real quick, about LSU baseball, and this is the problem I'm having with Christian and everybody saying that 20 went and the SEC couldn't get you in top eight seed nobody wants to talk about this fallacy that lsu is got a losing record against the top 25 they got a losing record on the road okay so are you telling me you can win all your games at home which is basically hold and serve you're going to get a top eight seed i don't think so and then you look at the SEC. there's four or five teams there that's doing the same thing and they're going to have winning records and all that i'm telling you they're hurting and they're hurting bad i need your comment on that i'll let
1: you go well it's, it's 28 at uh, 20 wins pardon me going to get you a top eight seed just by itself no i've I, i've debated that on my program a lot that, that's an arbitrary mark that the selection committee takes into account but there's more than that there's what are other teams doing across the country how do you perform at the end of your regular season how do you do in that sec conference tournament i mean you could win 20 games on the nose lose in the conference tournament a couple of times and be done and that's not getting you a top eight seed and 20 wins is an interesting benchmark here you might have what three teams maybe in the sec get to that mark right now georgia and mississippi state are on track for that, right on the nose. They're ten and five each of them. They're the only two that are on pace to hit that. I think twenty wins would be a big number, but when you have a rejuvenated Pac-12 conference with Oregon State, Stanford, UCLA, all in that top ten, the Big uh, the Big Twelve certainly better. I think the ACC is as good as they have been, except Florida State isn't the same. I don't know. I'm, I'm Look, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Joe, because I've said that before. This is an arbitrary number, this 20 wins. I don't think it gets you that top eight seed alone, but anybody who says LSU, they're out of the running for a top eight seed, I've heard a little bit of that. Oh, they'll never have a top eight seed. Now, no, you haven't been paying attention to the last decade that Paul Menary's been head coach. There's so much better... Second half of conference play, into the conference tournament, into that regional and super regional. They just are. And it's different now with the injuries. I get it. It's so similar to a couple of years ago when LSU was struggling mightily about this time of year. They went off ran off, what is it, like 14 wins in a row or something like that? What is it, like 18 and 19 of 20. Went on a hell of a run, and and that year they got all the way to that College World Series final series and ended up losing it to Oregon State. I beat Oregon State to get there, uh, actually. But, yeah. I don't know. Watch. Watch and see what happens. I I tell you, tomorrow tomorrow will be interesting. I want to know what their plans with that pitching staff are. I want to talk a little Will Wade. I just want to give you my commentary here on this because I've been asked for it. You know, I've been all over the Will Wade story since, well, really since last fall. And people are saying, well, why don't you have big time's opinion on, on him getting reinstated? Well, frankly, because I've talked about my opinions. And if I came on the air and said the exact same thing day after day, the show would get boring in a hurry. Wasn't surprised he was reinstated. Wasn't really necessarily not expecting it. I was expecting it because we've seen athletic directors for the most part across the country when they're dealing with stuff like this, bow to the pressures of boosters and the fan base and the boosters and the fan base were almost unanimously behind Will Wade in this. And I don't think that this should have been any kind of career ender for Will Wade. I I feel like I need to stop saying that but just because I disagree about the severity of his you know his actions and, and his wrongdoing here it doesn't mean I thought that you know will Wade shouldn't have a job ever again in college basketball no I don't I don't think that at all but breaking the rules regardless of what you think about said rules and then teaching, our youths, and then the students at LSU or, or players that did he coaches or any of the fans and people watching this play out across the city, the region, the country, that LSU now is tacitly endorsing those actions? And I say tacitly, tepidly endorsing those because I understand and I believe what they're doing is they're saying, well, okay, we're going to step back, and now NCAA, it's on you. You do the dirty work for us. And that might happen. But let's make no mistake about it. What what LSU has done by reinstating their coach before even the decision on him having to testify on April 22nd or him actually having to testify on April 22nd happens, and you find out the full scope, as much as you can, about what Will Wade said and did with Christian Dawkins and otherwise with incoming recruits, then I think you're endorsing cheating. You're endorsing breaking the rules. And you're teaching young men and women that that's okay. And I will, I'll say this in the end of my little mini mid-show monologue before we get to Scott Rabelais after the break. I have never been more disgusted than I was last week listening to so many comments on the Will Wade situation. I saw... Some very prominent people on Twitter heard from some very well-known people on the radio, saw some very well-liked, beloved, respected people on TV, read what some very brilliant and well-respected minds wrote in articles saying that they didn't care about cheating, that they believed and they thought and they were rooting for LSU, the, the program, the school, the teams that they root for, that they wanted LSU to cheat. They used those words. I didn't, they did. And it wasn't just one or two people, this was a cascade of them coming from about last Wednesday through last Saturday. That's abhorrent. That's disgusting that you're using your platform to advocate for breaking the rules, to advocate for cheating. It's sports, but yes, it's just sports. We're supposed to be better than that. We're supposed to teach life lessons with this. Young girls and guys, young boys and girls, are supposed to be able to look up to their athletes, their coaches, their athletic directors, the people that run these programs and around these programs and learn how to behave, how to act in life. That we have some people now openly rooting for their programs to cheat, to do anything they can to win, because they believe again, and I've ranted on this before, that they care about nothing but winning. Well, I hope that most of you listening out there are better than that. Because I still have in my optimistic mind a hope that we as sports fans as a whole are better than that. But gosh darn it, we haven't acted like that down here recently. We'll take a break. Back with Scott Rabelais after this. It was really one of the most memorable sports moments. God, this decade of a a while anyways. Yesterday when Tiger completed his... His comeback, 11 years between major victories, and he won one with that second putt over at Augusta. One guy who was there to take it all in was Scott Rabelais of The Advocate, and he did write about Tiger Woods' responsibility to come to never-visited tournaments like the Zerk. We'll get to that in just a second. But, Scott, what was that moment like yesterday? What what was the scene like?
2: Well, the whole, the whole day was, of course, everything got compressed because they had moved the tee times up for fear of some bad weather. So the whole day, the morning, Sunday morning was, you know, there was a a buzz. There was this, this uh, air, you know, everybody was rooting for Tiger. They were polite to the other players, but you know, the vast majority of the fans were, were rooting for Tiger urging him on and uh, just, just cheering his every move. And of course, you know, he, it wasn't a, there wasn't one single dramatic thing that he did yesterday. It wasn't like in when he, last time he won the Masters in 2005 when he had that chip in that everyone remembers the ball tumbling into the cup on 16. He played a nice, steady, rather conservative round and let everyone else around him kind of. Uh, make the mistakes, and and uh, he didn't. I mean, he you know, he has. There were a lot of major champions, like Molinari, the the leader, was a one the British Open last year, and Brooks Koepka has won three of the last six majors he's played in, and Dustin Johnson, and uh, players like that. But uh, the Tiger has as much major championship experience as all those guys combined, and then you add his knowledge of playing that course for more than 20 years. Uh, he knows just about every blade of grass uh, and it was uh, a masterful performance of the masters let's put it
1: that way ah, well said scott rabbley of the advocate joining us at rabbley adv on on twitter and boy does does he still move the needle to use a very cliche term unlike any golfer we've ever seen uh, because that's what i saw yesterday i can't remember something like that since really tiger won his last master
2: yeah, I mean, it, it, there are other very popular players. I think if uh, Ricky Fowler had finally broken through and won, I think that would have been really popular. Uh, Sergio Garcia winning two years ago was really popular. You know, it was a, kind of a similar comeback story. But, you, you know, you couple the fact, everyone loves a winner, and, and obviously Tiger's a winner. But, you know, this you, know, you, you have to say, you know, he came back from a really difficult place. And Nick, I'm, I'm in the press building yesterday because you pretty much have to watch the last – few holes on on television you know at uh, the back when they have leaders on the back nine because so many things are happening in so many different places and at one point there's about a dozen guys within a stroke or two of the lead so nick faldo said tiger told him at the champions dinner a couple of years ago he was done yeah his back was in such a state that he didn't think he, could, he was worried more about just living a normal pain-free life as tiger said after the round yesterday he couldn't lay down he couldn't sit down it, it was it, just everything was Painful, and he, he he thought that his competitive golf career was over. Now he's won, not only won a tournament. He won the Tour Championship to end last season in in Atlanta, but now he's won the the Masters, the uh, the most popular player in the world, winning the most popular golf tournament in the world. It's it's a it's a rather remarkable story when you couple so when you couple his talent and all his success with a comeback, it uh, it makes for a story that it, it, I think eclipses any of his other four wins, and I don't think it's anything we've seen since. Uh, jack nicholas won the last of his six masters back in 1986
1: a lot of people here in new orleans a lot of golf fans or sports fans in new orleans don't like tiger because never visited the zurich and also decided or did not come here after katrina perhaps when he could have to raise Mm -hmm. money raise awareness you wrote about this today is is he going to come this year is is that something that just isn't going to happen
2: well, he was asked yesterday uh, in his very pack, packed press conference about his schedule the rest of the year, and what he said was, "He said I, I'm probably going to play less than I played last year. And last year he only played 18 tournaments all year on the PGA Tour, uh, so that's not encouraging for one thing. And another thing is, it, Tiger is is very much a creature of habit when it comes to his his schedule. He plays the four majors, of course, and you have the FedEx Cup playoffs at the end of the year. That's three tournaments." Uh, he always plays Bay Hill in, in uh, Orlando. Though he didn't play this year because his neck was bothering him. Uh, uh, the Players Championship, uh, a handful of other tournaments, and, and this—if he—if he's only going to play, say, 15 or 16 times total, that doesn't leave a lot of room for anything else. So uh, to expect that he was going to come and play in the Zurich uh, this year is um, is not not realistic. I mean, it's not ruled out, you know, 100%. But Tiger you'll, you'll usually it traditionally takes a break after the masters, uh, of, you know, two weeks up to a month. Uh, he's not playing at Hilton Head, South Carolina this week either. So, uh, you know, I think there's always been a hope that he would, that the the new format of the Zurich with the team format would, would appeal to him and maybe, Hey, I'd like to play with one of my buddies. I'd like to try that sometime. Uh, but I, I don't think he's coming I, but I think he should. I mean, there's a handful of tournaments as I wrote in my column, uh, is on our website now and, and tomorrow's papers that, uh, is a handful of, of tournaments, older tournaments like like the Zurich, which have been around for decades, that he hasn't played in. The Bob Hope Desert Classic, uh, for one, uh, the Hawaiian Open, uh, now the Sony Open in Hawaii, uh, is another one. The Travelers in uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, and and I really think it's not just a it's not just a guy playing in a tournament. It's a happening when Tiger goes to a, a tournament, and it would be a huge boon for any of these these uh, events and any of these cities for him to come and play. And um, I, I really think he, I really think he owes it to golf while he's still a competitive player to get around and play some of these tournaments, and hopefully one day he will.
1: Scott Rabelais also wrote about Will Wade's reinstatement. And, and, Scott, I know you don't write the headlines, but I thought the headline uh, was, was apt because LSU, uh, is the headline, is betting that the worst is behind him and the program. Hoping is the key word there. It seems like uh, a lot of hope to have considering the cloud that, that still looms over him and the program and isn't going to dissipate anytime soon. What would you make of his reinstatement?
2: Uh, We've been hearing in recent days that this was, Becoming more and more likely, you know, he 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 got new legal counsel, someone who's dealt with a lot of these kind of crisis situations for coaches, and uh, you know he the the counsel encouraged him to meet with LSU, um, unlike his previous counsel who said don't say anything. And of course, journalistically, you 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 have to feel when someone's not talking, then they've got something to hide. And so Will Wade finally came in and talked last Friday. Uh, obviously, they worked on things a couple more days, and LSU feels that whatever he said to them, and we don't know exactly what it was said, is is credible that that, uh, that he denied wrongdoing or explained at least explained the you know what he said on the wiretap uh, conversations with Christian Dawkins that got him into so much trouble in the first place that earned him the suspension. And uh, but like I said, to, to try to make a long story short, they are betting that he is being truthful with them, that he is not in, in, involved in any wrongdoing, and there's not going to be more things, more more damning evidence, more more you know, more, more controversies to to come. Uh, he's in one way he's worth betting on because he's a really good young coach. I mean, he built the team that that led uh, won the SEC regular season championship in one of the most one of the most uh, competitive years for the SEC in, in some time. And uh, it would seem to be the kind of coach who can continue to help LSU win and win a lot in in basketball. But then you have to say at what cost. And uh, I will say this for LSU they have been very, traditionally been very tightly controlling when it comes to compliance and that sort of thing. Uh, I don't think they would let Javante Smart play if they really thought that, that there was some strong evidence that he was uh, involved in in, uh, some wrongdoing. They let him play after sitting out for one game. So we'll see going forward. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting if he does testify in the trial next week in New York or Christian Dawkins or not. And if he does, what comes of that? And uh, and meanwhile, LSU's got to be crossing their fingers a little bit that that, uh, this is going to be as bad as it gets.
1: Yeah, we'll probably find out on Friday when that motion gets ruled on, whether the the prosecution will win that motion to not have Wade and Sean Miller testify. Finally, Scott, is Joe Oliva on the hot seat now? I know the fan base feels like they they want him to be on that proverbial hot seat.
2: You know, first of all, the athletic directorship is one of the most thankless jobs in, in the world. I remember my old sports editor asking Joe Dean when he became athletic director, uh, who was a very popular figure, you know, he was on, you know, Mr. String music on television and was a great LSU basketball player. So why do you want this job? It, you know, it's such a hard job. I don't know. I, you know, I, people are mad at Aliva and LSU president, F King Alexander for suspending Wade. And they feel, you know, that maybe hurt LSU in the sec tournament and the NCA tournament. Uh, maybe, you know, cut short. If Wade had been there, maybe they could have gone to the final four. I don't know. I think they did about as good as they could do pretty much. But uh uh, I, I don't know what else they could have done. I mean, you have a boss. I have a boss. So they say you got to come in and talk about an important issue. You got to come in and talk about an important issue. And they were within their rights, per his contract, to to fire him for for, for insubordination for not coming in to talk. So I I, I thought they made the right move. Now, does, does Oliva always do a good job of explaining himself? Does he always do a good job of handling? Things No, he doesn't. Controversy seems to kind of follow him along. You know, he was the athletic director at Duke during the whole uh, lacrosse uh, scandal back in the 11, 12 years ago. So um, he's, he's not a guy who's done himself a lot of PR favors over the years. But I think in this sense, he probably acted about as prudently as anyone should act.
1: I'm with you, Scott. You can find Scott's pieces on Will Wade's reinstatement and Tiger Woods online right now at The Advocate. Scott, always appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Rabelais A-D-V. Uh, that'll do it for this hour. One more hour of the program to go. We will have on the commissioner of the XFL, Oliver Luck, plus sports libs in the
3: final hour of the last lap.